Yeah? Uh, oh, there we go. Oh, I wasn't sure if I was out of time. Yeah, um, my mother comes out of Stelm. My, my Nederlands is uh, Langsam. So I'm going to speak in English today. Yay, uh, yay, booking.com. Right, okay. Uh, and no, I'm actually super happy that Martin asked me to do this for a couple of reasons. Um, I've spoken all over the world, but this is the first time in the Netherlands, so I'm super happy to be in a place where my family is from. Um, and it's like day two of my freelance career, I just quit my job. Um, so I'm really excited to be here. And I love working with Dutch people, you guys are fucking awesome, honestly. I cannot tell you um, how nice it is to work with Dutch people, you're so authentic and straightforward and honest. To a fault sometimes, I know. <laughs> Right? Everyone else thinks you're fucking rude, but I love it. Alright. So, I'm going to give you some kind of weird shit today. I'm going to give you like super visionary fucking crazy stuff, and I'm going to give you some super practical things. So, to begin with, I want to ask you about this quote, which I will read out. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm having the same issue everyone else did. Okay. There is only one condition in which we can imagine managers not needing subordinates and masters not, not needing slaves. This condition would be that each instrument could do its own work at the word of command or by intelligent anticipation. So let's play a game. How old is that quote? Let's say 50 years. I'll put your hand up. Okay. 100. 200. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Martin. 500. Come on, people. 500. 1,000. Or a few. 2,000. Ooh. Oh, maybe we have some classic students. <laughs> uh, so that was actually Aristotle. That blew my mind when I read that. Um, I think it's kind of interesting that he's talking about this technology as though it's going to end slavery for a couple of reasons. One, you know, we're all talking about how to make the right cocktail or how to order a mocha soy latte. You know, he was thinking about how it ends slavery. And also, he was a slave owner, so it's just kind of, kind of messing with your head a little bit. But anyway, people have been thinking about this for a lot longer than we realize, including Aristotle. And in fact, the first voice tech was Audrey Bell Labs, 1952. Um, it can recognize 10 digits only spoken by one person, this guy here. <laughs> so, pretty slow. And actually, we all kind of know that phenomenon, right, from using the phone systems, right? We know how clunky it's been for years, right, because we didn't have machine learning improving the recognition algorithms. I suspect for most people, it, voice UI just feels a bit like this. You know, it's just kind of all over the place. And I want to play you a quick video which illustrates what I mean. Um, this is a clip from a film which I highly recommend you watch, so let, let's just watch this. I hope the sound is going to come. Yeah, uh, I was not the 
So, considering how broken it is in voice, you know, and when we start thinking about the ideas that we have, and a lot of them fall apart with voice for one very specific reason, which is that voice is the most sensitive to context and environment. There are no other modes of input as sensitive, really. So, imagine you were thinking of like a kid's party game, right? More than two kids, it just breaks. There's too many people talking at once, it falls over really quickly. So this is a good example of how the future breaks, right? Particularly in voice. And actually, the academic research is backing this up. Um, there's a really interesting paper here. I'll share the slides afterwards if you want to go read the paper. But the, these academics indeed. Real-world, complex, yet highly ordered multi-activity settings are the norm and remain a serious technical and design challenge for voice interfaces. This is the world that voice interfaces are going into. So when you actually read the paper, like, it's never about a conversation between you and Alexa. There's a whole load of other stuff going on in the room at the same time. And it breaks the conversation all the time. So that's what we're really dealing with here. So I have a kind of mission statement for you. As, as people are entering this space and designing for this space. I believe our true calling is to make the system fail gracefully. Because I'm not sure we'll ever really get over like the noise context environment problem. So you saw earlier right, where it went, name unknown, name unknown. Like which group of people in our discipline designed that answer? <laughs> I mean, I know lots of engineers who are great designers, but like that is an engineering answer, right? So we need to do a better job of making it fail. Okay, so let's talk possible futures. I'm just going to see if this clicker works if I plug it in here. Yes, excellent. All right. So Martin mentioned earlier that there are a lot of devices that are going to get Alexa built in. These are just a few that were uh, announced last year. Um, and Amazon's strategy, as with pretty much everything they do, is to commoditize the shit out of it, right? So that at some point in the near future, we will buy electronics or devices, oh, fuck, not even electronics, like a toaster, right? And it will have Alexa built in, and we didn't even know when we bought it, right? That is the commoditized future of Alexa. So we're facing a future where our home devices may talk by default, right? Imagine it can't, they get the electronics down to like $2 in manufacturing to add that in. Well, then who wouldn't, right? So what is this? Well, actually, a lot of people thought about this future. Um, who's familiar with the term ubiquitous computing? 
UbiComp. A few. Okay, well, I'll just explain it a little bit for those who haven't heard of it. Invisible everywhere computing that does not live on a personal device of any sort, but is in the woodwork everywhere. I think of my phone as like something from Lord of the Rings, like I'm fucking Gollum, right? Like, the precious! <laughs> it wants my attention all the time and I become addicted to it, right? So ubiquitous computing is this idea that actually the true vision of computing is that it just fades into the background, it doesn't constantly interrupt us or grab our attention. So I want to design for that future because I've noticed that my kids are already getting addicted, right? This is what interests me about voice. Now there's a movie that's actually thought about the ubiquitous computing uh, vision a lot, and, it, and it's actually one of my favorite movies, not for its plot or, or anything like that, but it, it's the movie Her. And it's one of the movies that thinks about our discipline and computing and digital in a way that no other Hollywood movie does, right? If you watch like typical Hollywood movies, watch Iron Man, right? And look at how many pieces of UI are flying in front of his face and think, is that even practical? No. This is a film that actually makes some of this stuff well, it's, it's, some of it's impossible, of course, including the AI that, the, our, that our protagonist falls in love with. But it actually makes the design element of it really humane. So I'm just going to play you a little clip here for those who haven't seen the film. Hey, you just got an email from Mark Lewin. What are you talking about? Oh, uh, read email. Okay, I will read email for Theodore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, what's Lewin saying? Theodore, we missed you last night, buddy. Don't forget, it's your goddaughter's birthday on the 29th. Also, Kevin and I had somebody we wanted you to meet. So, we took it upon ourselves to set you up on a date with her. Next Saturday, she's fun and beautiful, so don't back out. Here's her email. Wow, this woman is gorgeous. She went to Harvard, she graduated Magna Cum Laude in Computer Science, and she was on the lampoon. So that means she's funny and she's brainy. Okay, so notice a couple of things there. The interactions are multimodal. Dan was talking about this earlier, right? It's this beautiful dance between the modes. And also, she took the piss out of him, right, when he used the robotic tone, which we're all using today. The tech, we know the tech is not quite there where we can use our normal voices 100% of the time. So let's just talk about a few of the elements that are suggested here, right? So, wow, these slides are really not coming out well. Apologies. Uh, multimodal, voice first, right? Start the interaction of voice. Um, it's ever-present, it's always there, and hopefully you get your attention back. That's what we really want. Now, I'm going to say something a little bold about voice, because a lot, I mean, it's bold because a lot of companies are asking me about this right now, but no one knows where the fuck this is going, right? I've suggested this future, but everyone is uncertain, the design practices are emergent, um, we need to give our teams time to play around, to discover new ideas. Um, I'm going to disagree with Dan, I don't know where he is, but I actually think that a lot of the best innovation, like Xerox Park, which gave us the GUI, came from innovators who were playing around with things with no business requirements attached whatsoever. Give people, at least some of the bets you are placing need to be devoid of business results, right? Because no one knows what these practices are leading to. And we shouldn't tie innovation teams down to producing results all the time. Some of those teams should, absolutely, for the near future, but not all of them. Okay, so I want to give you a couple of strategic things I'm thinking about um, in terms of you know, where the opportunity are. And I'm calling these sort of lenses, if you like. These are just ways of looking at it, ways of thinking. So user research, so particularly what they are doing, right? 
that's the kind of thing we need to get into. Where can a voice interaction or a multimodal interaction help? Right? So uh, I've been talking to one of the major banks in the UK about like, well, yeah, let's not just replace the existing use cases. Let's look at all the behaviors related to finance and figure out what are the things that are non-obvious in the user journey. Uh, customer service, what conversations are you having right now? They're obvious, I mean you can make that mark user research, but if this is what they're doing, this is what they're saying. And then I think brand creative, this is actually where people are winning at the moment, right? So think of games, think of fun, think of brand expression. Actually these kinds of third party skills are doing really, really well in the voice ecosystem. So you can make something just for fun, right? That's fine. Um, and then future thinking, like what, what weird shit can we dream up devoid of user research that's just out there? Um, I'll just name one exercise that you should look up, or hey, I can come and do it for you with your company and workshop it. It's called the futures wheel. Um, it's a really interesting method for just kind of connecting the dots about possible futures. Anyway, let's have a reality check. I've talked a little bit about futures and stuff. Um, I'll tell you a few things that are true, um, that, well, certainly that I believe anyway. Um, Vui use may be U-shaped. What do I mean by U-shaped? Well, at 10 use cases that people use it for, it's awesome, right? Because they can remember 10 things that, that it's good for. At 100, it sucks because you can't remember how to use that thing that you only, you know, maybe I only make cocktails every six months. Am I going to remember which brand it was that, that gave me that experience? Apologies, Dan, but you know, that's the reality. But what we really want is like the magical version that her was suggesting, right? Which is like it can recognize anything. And we have no idea when AI is actually going to be able to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm a little skeptical because as we, we continue to not have a very good definition or understanding of what intelligence actually is, I mean, we can smell it, right? We know what it is, but we don't know how it works. So all this like Google duplex stuff, you actually start looking behind the scenes. It's not quite as intelligent as you might think. But that's what we're really going for. So we're faced with this problem, like people not really remembering how to use things. And the discovery problem, I missed this article's a little old, but it's still basically true, right? Alexa and Google Assistant have a problem. People aren't sticking with the voice apps they try. You know, um, it, it's not working in the same way that the, you know, the mobile phone app ecosystem works, like the app store. The, the things aren't just as, they're just not as sticky because people don't remember what to say or to you, how to use them. So we, we have, I know both Google and Amazon are working on the discovery problem, and there'll probably be lots of land grabbing going on. Um, but it still remains true that it, voice relies on memory, um, and that's a huge problem. So GUI's low bandwidth, might have touched on this earlier. Um, it is faster than typing as an input, but listening to voice output is slower than reading. So, I'll come back to why that matters later. But the important thing to recognize here is that it's not an ideal mode of input and output for everything, and again, that comes back to the multimodal thing. So to expand on the concept of voice first, if you think about what you do when you use a screen, you often express your real intent quite late to the system, right? So you start here, let's say, on your home screen, and then you open an app, and then you choose something in a menu, and down, 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 you're drilling down. Whereas the beauty of voice, the thing that makes it quite interesting is that you express the intent up front, and then you know you get hopefully a fairly short user journey to get your get your job done. So this is kind of how GUI and Vui are often quite different. That's not to say there isn't a decision tree behind Vui, but you know I get, you know what I'm getting at. So I mentioned the memory problem. Well, in design we actually call that affordance, right? So affordance is 
how does a design suggest its use? So at the moment, Amazon solved this problem by sending you an email every Friday, and it sucks. Try this with Alexa, try that with Alexa. I'm like, oh God, I'm not going to remember any of that during the week. So we really have to find these memory hooks when we design things. Another key reality is that humans expect more from conversations, right? And that's because effectively using digital is uh, what, let's say, realistically 30 to 50 years old, right, in terms of electronics. But conversations is like, well, human conversations is like ancient, right? Like it's probably one of humanity's first tools, if you think about it. And that's why voice UI on the phone for so many years has been so frustrating because our expectations get broken when we use it. So we expect more, and this is so important for the way we design, right? Meeting these expectations. Another key reality for you, uh, again, just a nod to booking.com, the heart of good very design is great writing. This is not going to be three minutes. Who cares and show who, whether I carry on beyond three minutes? Is this interesting? Okay, all right. <laughs> all right. Okay, well, let's talk. So, yeah, when I say great writing, I don't mean, you know, engage, necessarily engaging or, uh, you know, Ernest Hemingway and compelling, right, in the, in the fiction terms. I mean in terms of, you know, efficiency, uh, clarity, sometimes engagement, but not always. Um, depends on the context. But, yeah. Engage with your copywriters because they are the ones who will be able to give you that persona, that personality, and figure out what is the most efficient way to feed something important back to a user. So, let's talk designing for voice. And I want to just give you a quick example of why, um, really, this is, a, this is a design more than an engineering problem. So there is um, a skill on the Alexa store which helps you remember to take your keys when you leave the house. But you have to ask it to help you. <laughs> Can anyone tell me the flaw with this logic? <laughs> um, so I, I got, kind of got obsessed in the early days. I've been using a US Alexa for a long time. I got, I got really obsessed with like, finding like just these really terrible use cases that don't make any sense where clearly it's just a developer lying around who's like thought of something fun and launched it and maybe they knew it wasn't a great idea but it's out there and they just learned something playing with it but it does not solve a real problem and this is why we need to spend so much time thinking about the design another phenomenon that i've noticed as somebody who used to be an engineer as well is that the easier it is to create things we start building and then we forget to design, right? And that's fine, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I love hackathons, I love building useless shit in my Raspberry Pi. I'm with you on that. It's just that does not equal fixing a use case or making something that actually works for people. And so, it's, I'm, I'm in love with all the tools that are emerging, I'm gonna show you something I do today, but never forget that the easier it is, the more pointless shit will exist. <laughs> And, 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 and keep that in mind when you want to actually make something real. Um, and this is a pattern that's happened in history many, many, many times. So did you know that when the first cars were invented, the mode of input was what we call in England a tiller? Martin, what's the word for that in Dutch? A tiller? Roer. More? Roer. Oh, okay. Rudder, right? Rudder, rudder, yeah. yeah. 
So it took them a few years to figure out, actually, that mode of input is terrible for driving. They already had steering wheels, kind of, on a ship, but it, they used all the wrong metaphors, right? So they, they were thinking of small boats, right? And then they went, oh, okay, well, we'll just take that steering metaphor. Now, when new modes arrive, when new technologies arrive, we do this. We just borrow what we knew, what we were doing before. You can see this in film, too. If you watch the first films, they filmed it like a stage, like from halfway back in the audience. It took them like 20 years to figure out the close-up, right? So we're designing, uh, we're figuring out the language of voice at the moment. We don't really know, same as happening in VR and AR right now, we don't know what the best ways to tell a story in that mode are, or even if you can tell a story in that mode. So. Be mindful when people suggest, for example, you just copy a use case or a piece of functionality straight into voice, because the history tells us it will be different. Um, so I quit the company I worked for, um, Clear Left, and in 2007 we made what became the premier usability testing tool. Some of you may have used it. it was, it's called Silverback. It's kind of not the market leader anymore. Um, but we wanted to commoditize usability testing, right? We wanted to make it like super cheap and easy to walk into a cafe and test. Because at the time, Moray cost about two grand. It was a really expensive process to do usability testing. And we made it cost like $30, $40. So we democratized usability testing. And this thing sold like wildfire. Um, NASA still used it. The Obama campaign used it. Like it's still in use in a lot of really cool places. So the reason I'm saying this is that that idea of like failing fast and trying things out in really rapid fashion has been built into the company for like 10 years. And, and something that we had on the wall for a while is if a picture is worth a thousand words, a prototype is worth a thousand meetings, right? So if any of you are like gonna walk into meetings after this and try to persuade your stakeholders to get a team working on voice or spend some money on it, right? Well, just go in with a working prototype, right? <laughs> that conversation will be much, much easier. So what is the equivalent in voice UI? Um, so I became a little bit kind of obsessed with this question um, a little while back. So I'm going to tell you about Wizard of Oz testing. Do people know what this is? Just a quick show of hands if you know what this is. A few, OK. There's, there's a good few people who don't know what this is, so this is good. Um, so Jeff Kelly, he was an engineer, uh, I think at Stanford in the 70s, late 70s. It's how far back this voice design process goes. Um, and he basically just said, look, let's not build anything. Let's just make a smart fake. It'll be controlled in a separate room by an operator. And then we can figure out if the dialogue works, right? We can actually make the design correct without actually building anything. This is called the experiment, experimenter in the loop. Um, the team at Talpa called it the smoke test. Is that what you guys call it? I can't remember. Yeah, smoke test, smoke and mirrors, right? Okay, so what happens when you do this? Well, you, you take messy human input, like all the weird varieties of things that people can say, and then you iterate on how the system responds. Okay, so it's just this, this constant feedback loop. And actually Martin mentioned it earlier. So, what, what you're actually doing here, you're, you're figuring out whether you can fool Dorothy, right? Like, does this actually make sense as a conversation? Does it have all the correct responses? Can they use and understand it? Um, 
what synonyms do they use? So you need to start understanding all the different ways people ask for the same thing. You actually saw Hirun kind of do that earlier on with the Echo Show, right? He asked, I think, to open something, but he had to use a, a specific other phrase to, to, to open uh, the app. So, you know, these are all the problems that you need to start thinking about. And I think one of the main things that I found in doing it is that there were all these challenges that you didn't think about when you had the idea. It's like you went boldly in there and you thought, yes, I know how this should work. And then actually, the challenges are different. Names uh, is a constant problem for, for, for voice designers. Um, the guys at Google told me that it took them like two years to get Beyonce right. For some reason, that word just fucked up all the systems. So, the, the goal here is to get the design 90% right before a line of code is written. Okay, and then I was thinking about this and I, I was chatting to my friend Abby at Google. Well, I was actually traveling in Chicago. That is the real Edward Hopper in the background, by the way. And I thought to myself, could I go from an idea for a voice interface to a test in under an hour? That became sort of like my goal, right? Like, how stupidly rapid can I do this? I'm going to caveat that. I do a lot of user research. I do not believe you can solve every problem with a design sprint, okay? And I see a lot of organizations today fetishizing design sprints. It's like become a cult. No, you cannot get all the answers that way. I, in fact, I've even caught some organizations using the words design sprint instead of design. And I really want to make that distinction. I love rapid prototyping, but it does not answer all the questions. So let's actually show you some of this stuff today. Demo time. So for this, I'm going to need a volunteer and a microphone. Can I have another microphone? Okay, who among you is willing to be my test participant? It's not, it's not difficult, it's not scary, I promise this will be really easy. Oh man, am I really scary? Okay. <laughs> Excellent, alright, what's your name sir? Oh no, oh, no. okay, alright. Just make sure the mic is on. Uh, yeah. Is it? Yeah, it's working. Round of applause for Omno! Thank you. I'm going to ask you not to look at the screen while we do this. Is that okay? So if you stand over to the side, there we go. Now we're going to pretend that this is your Amazon electronics. Yeah? I'm a bit hard of hearing, so you <laughs> Now this is where your recruitment process is. Okay, alright. So this is your. I like a better one. Yeah. Um, it's good to test for extremes. Yeah. Uh, so this is your Amazon Echo. Okay. In a moment, I'm going to give you a scenario, yeah. and you can talk to it. Okay. okay? All right. So let me just get set up here. All right. Um, let's see now. I'm going to mirror the screen so that we can all see the same thing. Oh, big mess on screen. Okay. Can you see? Okay, okay. Don't look at the screen. <laughs> now, um, so what, what's going on here? Let me just explain before we get started. So this here, this is our Wizard of Oz control board. And this list of phrases that it's going to read out is actually from a text file. It's literally like 15 lines of Python code to have it map these phrases to the keys. Okay, so I'm going to simulate the conversation by pressing the keys. 
and hopefully Omno can hear what's being said. <laughs> okay. So, Omno, you're at work, you've got a meeting for one hour, and you'd like to capture the audio so you can listen back to it later. Okay. Ask Alexa to help you. Alexa, please record the next hour. Oh, hang on. Is there sound? One sec. You're the wrong screen. Recording started for one hour. Who would you like me to send the recording to? What's your full name? Uh, I don't want to spell my email address. You know my email address. <laughs> Thanks. Afterwards, I'll send this recording to you. <laughs> okay, that's it. Thank you, Omna. my system didn't have the required responses to what he said. So now I could, in literally like 20 seconds, I could write a new response to that question and, and, and include it in the next test. So here I was kind of assuming that the system magically knows who works at the company, but actually we just figured out a new, uh, we need a new set of responses. And then I've been doing this live for a while and on maybe roughly half, somebody will say something where I need to update the script. So failing is a good thing. All right, let me just switch back here. Um, okay. All right. So really, I mean, the concept here is that you know design, the design process is working when it kills your early ideas about how something should work. Um, as we've seen with some of the examples, you know, people clearly didn't do any of that. So I'm just going to outline what I think is my sort of first version of design process is what I was teaching in a workshop here yesterday. Um, there's a lot more to this in terms of UX and design and user research, but these are the kind of the important things in terms of voice. So establishing the context of use and, and making a case for why this will actually work. I mean, Dan touched on this. Um, that's probably the, the number one thing you need to do. And then you need to go and craft the personality. This is something I teach a bit about in my workshops. Like, is this, is this an Alexa skill that is helping an old person to remember to take their medicine or playing games with kids? You know, very different personality to express. Um, writing sample dialogue, as in that text file you saw there. How do you imagine the conversation, the happy path that 80% will go? Then you run your Wizard of Oz testing, you know, and you can try and do all that in an hour. The interesting experiment. Um, and then you craft what's called the dialogue flow. So at a certain point it is actually helpful before you hand over to engineers to actually figure out, okay, well, what are the different states of this thing? Um, what's, what are the kind of parts? But it's not necessarily useful to start that way. Dialogue first. And then you're going to build, test and launch and discover a whole new set of problems when you do that, right? Because uh, I believe at Google they get two million brand new inquiries they've never seen every single day, right? So the design is never done effectively, right? You're always going to be improving your voice skill, figuring out what people are asking next. And their expectations will be partly set by other services that they use. I'm, I'm currently working with 
uh, a big delivery service in Benelux, name I can't mention, but you, you probably all used it. And like the whole thing with their service is it's being defined by other competitors, right? The expectations are being set by everyone else. So this is a, a huge thing about what's going on here, is like what's happening elsewhere. So as Martin mentioned, I won't talk about this much, but I put together this huge list of voice guidelines. Uh, hopefully you can pick up a lot more about voice design by, by having a look at this. So now I want to just end, um, or sort of wrap up with, I'll just talk about one principle, I'm not going to talk about too much. Um, and an important concept to consider in voice. So, let's talk about implicature. This is actually something your culture suffers from less, um, because you are a bit more upfront as a culture. But um, I love Mad Men because it's actually really rich with subtext and implicature, hence. Don Draper, but it's really useful to think about when somebody's asking a question, what are they saying but not saying? What is the real deeper user need that is being addressed by a question? So let me give you a combination of implicature and a design principle together. So one of the main principles that almost all the platforms will talk about is being brief, right? As we mentioned, voice is low bandwidth, so you have to be extremely efficient if you're using voice as an output. So train to Amsterdam? Okay, then the system responds, the 1305 from Utrecht to Amsterdam leaves in 20 minutes. So, what is the implication of this question? Any ideas? Yeah? Five minutes. Can you make it? Exactly. The real user need is, can I make it in time to the station? They might not actually care about the specific time of the train, what they care about is, it's leaving into, I can make that as a walking distance. And in fact, the Google Assistant now has started to give you, if, you use, if it knows your address and it knows you're at home, it will give you the walking distance as well when you ask for a train or a bus. So it's working that stuff out for you. But you wouldn't know that from that question alone. You have to start digging into what these questions really mean and again, what context people are in. So the reason that I put this on as be brief, right, is, well, think about all of the metadata that you could imagine about that train. Carriages, the price of the ticket, what platform it's at, uh, how, how many carriages are, like you could just go on, you could probably list like 50 data points that are useful for a train. But you have to figure out like, what is the one thing you want people to take away from this interaction? And in this case, I put the 20 minutes at the end of the sentence, because that's what they need to, that's what they're really thinking about. So it's not the first thing, it's the last thing. That's what they want to leave with. All right, so a few design resources for you. Um, I'm gonna, don't worry about taking photos, I'll, I'll share these. But like, I've got this whole article about testing your voice app in, in one hour, which will take you through the process. Um, Say Wizard is the tool that I, that I showed you earlier. Um, and launched only a few weeks ago, Amazon Blueprints is this awesome thing which Martin used to create uh, the, the stuff you saw today. I program shit, man. Yeah, so <laughs> programming a basic skills or answers to questions without actually coding. Um, really, really useful for trying ideas out. Um, I left my marketing till the end. Um, let me come and help you. I've done this kind of thing with teams, teaching them how to design the voice. Um, so teams at Amazon actually use Say Wizard and my prototyping methods. Uh, the BBC, uh, I've had people from KLM in my workshops. Um, I designed uh, a bunch of stuff with people yesterday from a 
Frog Leap. Are they still here? Woo, was it fun? Yes, yes excellent. <laughs> right, that's what I want to hear. Um, and so, uh, yeah, as I said, I'm, I'm working in Benelux a bit, so um, I'm freelance now. I'm free. Uh, yeah, I, I'd love to come and help you, whether that's skilling people up or whether that's like helping you solve a problem. Okay, last thought. So, the father of modern, uh, the father of sort of the, the conceiver of uh, ubiquitous computing. So he thought, like, what is the magical future of computing? He said this. The most profound technologies are those that disappear. They weave themselves into the fabric of everyday life until they are indistinguishable from it. I can't really think of a better description of the voice. We don't think of it as a tool. And also it's ephemeral. We use it and it just disappears into our environment. Thank you very much.